Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. On Thursday, January 18th, there was a hearing with Judge Stephen Boyce regarding Chad Daybell's lawyer, John Pryor. And it was nothing short of a show. John had recently filed a motion to withdraw in Chad's case stating two reasons. Number one, Chad is indigent and John doesn't want to work for free. And number two, he's searching for a lawyer who is death penalty qualified since Chad is potentially facing the firing squad if he's deemed guilty for the heinous murders of his second wife's children and for the murder of his first wife. But there were so many oddities that happened in the hearing and we need to talk about it. I'm Linda with It's a Crime, so now, let's get into it. On January 18th, the hearing took place. I did a live stream that morning and we watched it live for a couple of hours. Now, right off the bat in the hearing, what was interesting was a very different demeanor from John Pryor. He talked about Chad being indigent and the extra lawyer to be death penalty qualified. Now, usually we see John quite spicy. He's heated and he does these long drawn out soliloquies. Now, the soliloquies were still there, let's be real, but he did look like a little puppy with his tail tucked in between his legs. Have a look. The order from 825-23, the court's well aware ex parte that I filed in January of 2023, well over a year ago, uh, a year and seven days, uh, a motion to, to seek additional counsel. And the court, uh, identified the fact that at this point, uh, being privately retained, uh, that Mr. Daybell may not be uh, eligible for having um, additional attorneys represent him. And I'm relying on the court's um, interpretation of that statute. And judge, what has transpired, and as a matter, matter of procedural history, in um, middle to uh, late of 2022, I started the process of seeking additional counsel. Uh, I believe that was probably about uh, two years ago. I started seeking the possible year and a half ago, seeking the possibility of getting additional counsel aid me in this case when I realized the magnitude of the discovery. That process involved judge uh, going through the list of, uh, of qualified attorneys on the Public Defense Commission list. I took the process of identifying all of those folks and then reaching out to all of them. And the ones I didn't speak to directly, I spoke through through the various public defenders, uh, the people who ran the public defender's office. I went through that list and at that point was unable to find anybody uh, uh, that was available to do this. And it's no secret, it's, it's reasonable common knowledge that the Public Defense Commission is having a difficult time finding death qualified attorneys to represent 
in these kind of cases. I then contacted the commission on a couple of occasions and spoke to their, uh, one of their assistants and their directors and uh, uh, got the idea of maybe reaching out to out-of-state attorneys and did the process of contacting about six out-of-state attorneys to see if that was a possibility as well. And again, to, with no luck. Uh, shortly thereafter, I went through again and, and did went through the same process, looking through the list of qualified attorneys. In January of 2023, about a year ago, I reached out to the court and said, listen, it's going to require additional counsel. Mr. Daybell is, is, is indigent. He doesn't have the ability or financial uh, ability to uh, hire another private counsel at this point. And the court went through its analysis and, and thus came up with the order that uh, you released today, Judge. What has transpired, Judge, is that uh, approximately in, um, uh, Judge, I don't want to misstate, so I, I want to be very careful about this, but I believe, and it was in October of last year, I reached out to a private attorney that I know and asked him if he would consider becoming death penalty qualified to aid me in this case, and he agreed to do that and started the process. Um, he has been in relative, re, relative, um, contact with uh, the Public Defense Commission. And at this point, up until today, when I spoke to him this morning, um, the holdup is the CLE, uh, but that, you know, whether it's no fault of his or the Public Defense Commission, and I'm not putting any blame, but at this point, uh, there's no uh, appointment, there's no decision that has been made. And I'm really unclear because the commission won't tell me his status, only I can get relayed by what he's telling me. But it came to, um, I came to realize in late December that the amount of work that I'm gonna to need to perform before the trial was of such an extent that it would, um, in my opinion, um, uh, create a situation where not all of the things that needed to be done for the trial commencing in uh, April 1st could get done. This put me in a difficult situation. Uh, I wanna to relay to the court, uh, when you say December, what, December of this last year, 23? December of 2023, Judge. All right. I realized at that point when there wasn't a decision about uh, him being appointed and the court obviously directed with its order that uh, you'd be willing to uh, compensate another attorney to help me. But in December, I, I contacted the attorney again. I was in relative com frequent contact with him. And uh, he said, listen, there hasn't been a decision. I said, you know, please contact them, find out what the holdup is. Where are we on this thing? And since that time, it was more than weekly that I was communicating with him. Up to today, there still hasn't been a decision. I don't know what the status is and, and there hasn't been an approval. Uh, at this point, um, this puts me in the situation where uh, this court, I don't think is obligated to uh, you know, appoint an attorney. Mr. Daybell has private counsel. Now, there's no question that there's a lot of work to be done on this case. And John has almost been on this case for three years. He's complaining about the sheer amount of work he's facing, but that's really nothing new. He said in December of 2023, he realized just how much work he'll have to do and he would have to work around the clock. But John has been complaining about this from the very beginning about the amount of work that needs to be done. That's nothing new. Cue the violins. Now, at first, I wondered what was gonna happen in this hearing because this could be potentially a really big issue, but it went to the next level and beyond. John was so contradictory in his words, which you'll see in a minute, and then he said he wasn't being contradictory later on in the hearing. 
Now, he said he didn't want to work for free, but then didn't mind working for free. And the judge had something to say. Have a look. Approval. Uh, at this point, um, this puts me in the situation where uh, this court, I don't think, is obligated to, uh, you know, appoint an attorney. Mr. Daybell has private counsel. And I want to... Um, I want to state to the court that I don't desire to get off this case. I want to stay on this case. And regardless of Mr. Daybell's financial situation, I want to stay on this case. I could care less about the money. Um, Mr. Daybell wants me to stay on this case. Well, that's not really what your motion says though, Mr. Pryor. Your motion says you want off the case because it's going to cost too much for you to work uh, the work it's going to take to get it through trial without compensation. So, right, and that's correct, Judge. This is an important issue for me today. Are you wanting to withdraw because you think you deserve to be paid for the work you do, which I understand, but when I'm considering the standards under Rule 44.1, which is discretionary under Part A, on a leave to withdraw, uh, I may allow you to withdraw for good cause. And what I'm trying to determine is, do you want to withdraw because you're not being paid enough to continue through trial? Or are you seeking to withdraw because you're simply not going to be prepared and ready for trial? Judge, the, the situation is this, is that when I say to the court, and I'm, I'm saying that in all sincerity, I don't need to get paid for this case. The concern is this, is that I, at, at least at this perspective, Judge, I'm going to be doing this by myself. And it's going to expend a lot of resources and a lot of time that I'm not going to be able to commit to other uh, uh, projects or other situations. Now, obviously, I'm not taking on a lot of other, a lot of other uh, obligations because of this case. Do I want to get paid? Everybody wants to get paid for what they do. Am I making that a... a, a, a the only reason to withdraw, well, it's it's twofold. Do I wanna get paid for the work that I've done in this case? I do. I'd like to get compensated for the next two and a half months and for the two months of the trial. And I do wanna get paid and I think it's fair. And Mr. Daybell and I had a discussion about this. Mr. Daybell expressed to me that he doesn't feel comfortable me continuing in this case if I'm not getting compensated for the work. Now, John's words in that clip, and I quote, I want to state to the court that I don't desire to get off this case. I want to stay on this case. I could care less about the money. And in John's motion, it says, at a hearing on January 19, 2023, this court inquired of Mr. Daybell and declared him indigent. He said Mr. Daybell does not have the ability to pay for counsel's continued service, and Mr. Daybell seeks the appointment of two capital-qualified attorneys to represent him in this matter. Now, it's important to note that Chad was deemed indigent a year ago, so it's pretty peculiar that John is bringing it up now at the 11th hour that he's not getting paid. And Chad's trial is set to start in April. We are so close to starting, and both Lindsay Blake and the judge started raising some eyebrows in court. Lindsay called him out. In fact, she did a great job, and she made sure to mention that his behavior and words are confusing. I think from the state's perspective, we are a little confused today because we read the affidavit that was presented to the court. We, most of our motion was in response to that. The court has in fact done the inquiry and answered most of the questions the state had. Also unsealing the order 
from the January proceeding where the defendant had referenced that Mr. Daybell was found indigent. We now have reviewed the transcript of that and that did answer some of the state's additional questions. One being that there was an actual finding of indigency. The reason that that's so important in this case is because the Idaho criminal rules outline if someone is charged with a capital offense and they're found to be indigent, um, I think the term they use is needy, but the equivalent, and they choose to hire counsel, they're allowed to do that. They can have private counsel of their choosing. However, if they opt to request the court appoint counsel, then there's certain requirements, and that includes having a capital qualified first chair attorney and a capital qualified second chair attorney to assist them in the proceedings. In addition to that, it flags some additional requirements that those defend the public defenders have to um, comply with. And there are quite a few of them in that list that must be complied with. But again, if a defendant opts to have private counsel, I think they do so knowing that their private counsel would not have to comply with those, or at least their counsel should be advising them of that. But they could also choose to forego having private counsel once they're found indigent in order to allow capital qualified attorneys to be appointed. In the review of the proceedings from back in January, it appears that there was a request to have some additional counsel assist on the case, and that was made by Mr. Pryor with his client, Mr. Daybell, present. At that juncture, it looks like Mr. Pryor was advised that if he could find someone else to assist in the case, that there may be funds available to help pay for that second attorney. In later proceedings, it looks like the court revisited that issue when no other attorney made an appearance. And at some point in those proceedings, Mr. Daybell was asked and essentially waived his right to have capital qualified attorneys. He opted to stick with Mr. Pryor. What's frustrating for the state is back in January a year ago, both the defendant. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And Mr. Pryor were aware of the defendant's financial situation. They clearly presented it to the court for the finding of indigency. At that juncture, they also were well aware that there was no second chair helping on this matter. So here we are a year later, and for the first time, this issue is being brought up that, hey, I actually want to withdraw because I'm not going to get paid. I'd have to work 24-7 in order to be prepared for trial and still probably can't get everything done in time for trial. So we've got two issues within that motion. One, the not getting paid, and the second one, whether or not Mr. Pryor can be prepared for trial. The state tries to be cautious in interjecting ourselves too much when it comes to a defendant and their choice of counsel. However, I think the ethical rules and other rules mandate that prosecutors try to ensure that defendants have the right or are advised and actually have counsel representing them in proceedings. When we look at that requirement of the state, as well as some of the other factors the state has to consider, such as appellate issues, the state tries to be cognizant of those and do our best to avoid creating them. 
I think that's what the court has indicated here today. The real question is, at least for the state, the finances the state's staying out of, but the real question for the state is, can Mr. Pryor be effective at trial? The state doesn't wanna redo a trial. We don't wanna get through trial and then have an appellate issue that requires us to do that again. While the state is extremely frustrated that this is being filed so late, and we are frustrated for the citizens, we're frustrated for the victims in this case, if this motion's granted, the state fully recognizes it's gonna cause a pretty significant delay. And now the victim's families have to wait that much longer. The state now has to absorb additional costs. It's frustrating, but in looking at the big picture, we also wanna ensure that we don't have counsel that cannot be adequately prepared for trial. When I said the state was a little confused today, the reason for that confusion is I'm referencing what was said in the motion. What's been presented here in court today is very different. So we have conflicting statements from defense counsel at this point. The motion read as if counsel was indicating, I cannot be effective. If you make me stay on this case, I cannot be effective. The reason I say that is no person can work 24 seven on something. We all have to have time to sleep. We have to have time to do other things. So I know it's a phrase used a lot, but the reality is if working 24 seven, Mr. Pryor cannot be prepared for trial. What he's indicating is he would be ineffective at trial. What he's presented today is no, I can be effective. The motion says, I'm not gonna get paid, I want off the case. Today what's being presented is no, I'm fine not getting paid, I'll stay on the case. So if Mr. Pryor's representations today are, I'm okay not getting paid and I can be effective, I don't actually know why we're here today. This doesn't appear to be a true motion to withdraw. The concern for the state is we've had multiple continuances in this case and I recognize there can be arguments back and forth as to who did what and who caused the continuance but at the end of the day, a year ago, Mr. Pryor was fighting very hard to get a continuance. He filed multiple motions to get a severance. He was finally successful with those in January, or January, around January of last year. Maybe it was February, but he ended up getting both a severance and a continuance. Got a year long continuance. Again, last January, Mr. Daybell had been found indigent. They knew there wasn't a second chair. He's proceeded on the case for a year. He had the benefit of watching the co-defendant's trial. He knew exactly how long that trial was, knew, was able to observe and see how many witnesses there were, should have had a very good idea of what the trial preparation was going to require at that juncture. So again, very frustrated that we're getting here, but we had that, the request was, I need a continuance to test the DNA. We get past the trial, I'm actually not gonna test the DNA. The state recognizes that different tactical decisions can be made, but it was very frustrating that we ended up with a continuance and severance for something that never ended up getting tested. Lindsay made some really great points, and she even said that this doesn't seem like it is a motion to withdraw, and we are very confused. This is very contradictory. And it sure does look like this is a part of a grander plan, doesn't it? Do you think John's playing a game? Let me know below. Then it was the judge's turn. He got annoyed and cut John off. He's wondering what the heck is going on and gave John basically a what for, even quoting things that John said from a year before. There's an issue here that's been raised by the state about the timing. And of course the court joins in that concern also. Uh, Mr. Daybell has been incarcerated since June 9th, 2020. We've got a trial scheduled in two months. Mr. Daybell's asserted his right to that trial. And although he has waived his right to a speedy trial, certainly this case has taken a long time to get to trial. 
And at some point, even with a waiver of speedy trial, the court has to consider the timeliness of a defendant in custody being granted their opportunity for a timely trial. That right also applies to the state and the state's right to seek justice for victims, to seek a conviction if they believe they have the evidence to do that and to not have to wait through unnecessary and unreasonable delays in bringing a case to trial. So the court has a duty to try to timely administer cases. And while the rules generally slow things down a lot, uh, there are reasons for that, but at some point the court has to consider the timing here. That's the big issue with this motion, quite frankly, is that the motion, if granted, would absolutely require a continuance of the trial and not just a brief continuance, because what would occur if I grant this motion and Mr. Pryor withdraws from the case, then under criminal rule 44.3, the court is required to appoint two capital qualified public defenders, absent Mr. Daybell having some manner of, again, rehiring a private new attorney or getting one to do it pro bono. The issue there is Idaho has a sparse number of attorneys on that roster, and Idaho is currently experiencing a lot of cases that are already resulting in appointments of a lot of available attorneys. And quite frankly, I don't have any idea who would be appointed of the two. I don't have any idea when we could get them appointed. But what I do know is the trial would have to be vacated and would have to be continued, and I think uh, likely for a long time, maybe a year, maybe even more. Because for new counsel to come in, start over from scratch on a complex case like this, not have any uh, review of discovery or any preparation, they would have to reasonably request time to get prepared, which would have to be granted. Um, Mr. Pryor was raising concerns about trying to get second counsel appointed. And I've tried to accommodate that, Mr. Pryor. We had a hearing, it was exactly a year ago, on January 19th of 2023, and talked about your concern. The way I interpreted Rule 44.3, while it doesn't really address a situation with a private attorney together with a public defender, I don't think the rule necessarily prohibits that either. And so I approved that you could have co-counsel if you could find someone, but of course, it would have to be on that approved roster because this is a capital case. I don't doubt that you've made a diligent effort to try to find co-counsel. That's clear to the court. I know uh, we've addressed that over the course of the last year on numerous occasions, the status of whether or not someone was coming into the case. We're on the eve of trial and no one has come into the case. Uh, with that in mind then, the court has to also look at uh, the impact that could potentially have if Mr. Pryor withdraws from the case, Mr. Daybell's required to start over, abandon an attorney-client relationship that's been ongoing for several years, start over with a brand new attorney-client relationship with someone that he doesn't know and we can't even tell him who that would be. And also with the delay, I find that that prejudices the defendant. I also would find that given all of the preparation and time that has gone into this trial setting, which has been scheduled out for a long time, uh, made by both the court and obviously the state in being prepared and ready to go, that there should be a presumption that we maintain the trial date. So the two concerns here raised in the motion really are number one, the fact that Mr. Pryor would not be able to obtain payment for his services. And the court does strongly consider that because uh, attorneys work for their profession and it's important that they get paid and it's a consideration 
but that in and of itself does not, in my mind, rise to the level of good cause under the rule 44.1 to grant the withdrawal. The second and I think more concerning issue is some indication in the motion of Mr. Pryor indicating that it would be very difficult, if not impossible, to be adequately prepared for trial. That's what's set forth in the motion. However, upon argument here today also, Mr. Pryor's indicated that he has made steps. I don't find anything in the record that he's been ineffective in his uh, assistance of Mr. Daybell's defense in the case. And so uh, with the concerns today being brought up and addressed directly by the court, both in open and closed proceedings, I don't find any specific grounds indicating that Mr. Pryor has said he cannot and would not be ready and prepared to adequately defend his client, although it may be difficult and he apparently will not be able to be compensated. Uh, it's not in the record that it can't be done. And importantly, also, Mr. Daybell has affirmed today he does intend and would like to keep Mr. Pryor as his attorney in this case. And finally, I'll note that in addressing these concerns at that hearing a year ago, uh, there was a representation by Mr. Pryor who said directly to this court, and I'll quote what was said in the hearing, quote, there's going to be no continuance because I'm asking to get out of this case. That will not happen. And the courts relied all along on those representations in getting this case scheduled. So in balancing all that out and looking at whether or not good cause has been demonstrated today, I do not find that there is good cause for withdrawal of counsel. And so under criminal rule 44.1, upon consideration of that standard, the court is going to deny your motion to withdraw. So there was a hearing a year ago to get help for him uh, to get counsel. Now, the feisty side of John that we know was backed by the later part of the hearing. And it, interesting that also happened was a sidebar that took place. That was more towards the beginning. The judge asked John if there was a mitigation specialist in place, and that's important because that's one of the criteria in a death penalty case. But John freaked out and said he's basically not going to give away his strategy and all his cards. And then there was a sidebar, which was odd because the mitigation specialist is part of those rules and it shouldn't be something that should be hidden. So all in all, the judge decided that John is to stay on the case, even though he's working for free, but he's going to add a second chair. Of course, they have to abide by the requirements for a death penalty case. And in the state of Idaho, there are currently eight people on death row. Seven are male and are in the Idaho maximum security south of Boise and one female is at the Pocatello Women's Correctional Center. There have been three executions since 1977 or 76 when the death penalty was enacted and in 2023 they changed the method to firing squad if no lethal injection drugs are available. Now I don't know if the trial will end up staying on the docket for April with the new attorney hopping on board, but at least we won't be booking at a year or two from now and it'll be sooner than later, which is very much welcomed. I understand that people need to get paid and Chad wants him to be paid. All of a sudden, Chad is having a heart and we're you know, wanting John to be paid for his services. Where was Chad's heart when the children were being buried in his yard? When Tylee was killed and dismembered and burned and JJ bound in garbage bags and duct tape, Tammy murdered and posed. Do you think when all of this is over that Chad will write a book? Let me know. And if you haven't seen it yet, 
check out my video right here on John's shady past and check out a previous video about Lori and Chad's secret society. Thank you so much for watching. Stay safe out there. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nyx.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.